0: Section twenty-eight of the Algonquin Legends of New England. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mary in Arkansas. The Algonquin Legends of New England, or Myths and Folklore of the Micmac, Passamaquoddy, and Penobscot Tribes, by Charles Godfrey Leland. Section twenty-eight. THE CHINOO LEGENDS, THE CHINOO, OR THE STORY OF A CANNIBAL WITH AN ICY HEART, MICMAC AND Passamaquoddy, OF THE OLD TIME An Indian, with his wife and their little boy, went one autumn far away to hunt in the northwest, and having found a fit place to pass the winter, they built a wigwam. The man brought home the game, the woman dressed and dried the meat, The small boy played about shooting birds with bow and arrow in indian wise all went well one afternoon when the man was away and the wife gathering wood she heard a rustling in the bushes as though some beast were brushing through them and looking up she saw with horror something worse than the worst she had feared it was an awful face glaring at her a something made of devil man and beast in their most dreadful forms it was like a haggard old man with wolfish eyes he was stark naked his shoulder and lips were gnawed away as if when mad with hunger he had eaten his own flesh he carried a bundle on his back the woman had heard of the terrible Chinu, the being who comes from the far icy north a creature who is a man grown to be both devil and cannibal and saw at once that this was one of them truly she was in trouble but dire need gives quick wit as it was with this woman who instead of showing fear ran up and addressed him with fair words as my dear father pretending surprise and joy and telling him how glad her heart was asked where he had been so long The Chinu was amazed beyond measure at such a greeting where he expected yells and prayers, and in mute wonder let himself be led into the wigwam. She was a wise and good woman. She took him in. She said she was sorry to see him so woebegone. She pitied his sad state. She brought a suit of her husband's clothes. She told him to dress himself and be cleaned. He did as she bade. He sat by the side of the wigwam and looked surly and sad, but kept quiet. It was all a new thing to him. She arose and went out. She kept gathering sticks. The chinu rose and followed her. She was in great fear. Now, she thought, my death is near. Now he will kill and devour me. The chinu came to her. He said, Give me the axe. She gave it, and he began to cut down the trees. Man never saw such chopping. The great pines fell right and left, like summer saplings. The boughs were hewed and split as if by a tempest. She cried out, Nuta bigul, busugul. My father, there is enough. Footnote. The tremendous pine-chopper is a character in another Indian tale. End footnote. He laid down the axe. He walked into the wigwam and sat down, always in grim silence, the woman gathered her wood and remained silent on the opposite side she heard her husband coming she ran out and told him all she asked him to do as she was doing he thought it well he went in and spoke kindly he said "Nechilch, my father-in-law and asked where he had been so long the Chinu stared in amazement but when he heard the man talk of all that had happened for years his fierce face grew gentler they had their meal they offered him food but he hardly touched it he lay down to sleep the man and his wife kept awake in terror when the fire burned up and it became warm the chino asked that a screen should be placed before him he was from the ice he could not endure heat for three days he stayed in the wigwam for three days he was sullen and grim he hardly ate then he seemed to change he spoke to the woman He asked her if she had any tallow. She told him they had much. He filled a large kettle. There was a gallon of it. He put it on the fire. When it was scalding hot, he drank it all off at a draft. He became sick. He grew pale. He cast up all the horrors and abominations of earth, things appalling to every sense. When all was over, he seemed changed. Footnote the Chinu is not only a cannibal but a ghoul he preys on nameless horrors in this case having yielded to the power of kindness he has made up his mind to partake of the food and hospitality of his host to change his life but to adapt his system to the new regimen he must thoroughly clear it of the old rand manuscript this is a very naive and curious indian conception of moral reformation it appears to be a very ancient Eskimo tale, recast in modern time by some zealous recent Christian convert. End footnote. He lay down and slept. When he awoke, he asked for food and ate much. From that time, he was kind and good. They feared him no more. They lived on meats such as Indians prepare. Footnote: that is cured, dried, smoked, and then packed and pressed in large blocks. End footnote. The Chinoo was tired of it. One day he said, Nitus, my daughter. Have you no Pela wisos, Fresh meat. She said, No. When her husband returned, the Chinoo saw that there was black mud on his snowshoes. He asked him if there was a spring of water near. The friend said there was one half a day's journey distant. We must go there to-morrow, said the Chinoo and they went together very early. The Indian was fleet in such running, but the old man, who seemed so wasted and worn, went on his snowshoes like the wind. They came to the spring. Footnote. The Mi'kmaqs have two words for a spring of water, one for summer, Utkoba, which means that the water is cool, the other for winter, Kisubok, indicating that it is warm. S. T. Rand. End footnote. IT WAS LARGE AND BEAUTIFUL. THE SNOW WAS ALL MELTED AWAY AROUND IT. THE BORDER WAS FLAT AND GREEN. FOOTNOTE. NOT UNCOMMON ROUND WARM SPRINGS EVEN IN MIDWINTER, AND AMONG ICE AND SNOW. END FOOTNOTE. THEN THE CHINOO STRIPPED HIMSELF AND DANCED AROUND THE SPRING, HIS MAGIC DANCE, AND SOON THE WATER BEGAN TO FOAM, AND ANON TO RISE AND FALL, AS IF SOME MONSTER BELOW WERE HEAVING IN ACCORD WITH THE STEPS AND THE SONG. The chinook danced faster and wilder. Then the head of an immense taktalak, or lizard, rose above the surface. The old man killed it with a blow of his hatchet. Dragging it out, he began again to dance. He brought out another, the female, not so large, but still heavy as an elk. They were small spring lizards, but the chinook had conjured them. By his magic they were made into monsters. He dressed the game. He cut it up. He took the heads and feet and tails, and all that he did not want, and cast them back into the spring. They will grow again into many lizards, he said. When the meat was trimmed, it looked like that of the bear. He bound it together with withes, he took it on his shoulders, he ran like the wind. The Indian was a great runner, and all the land was not his like, but now he lagged far behind. Can you go no faster than that? asked the Chinoo. The sun is setting. The red will be black anon at this rate. It will be dark ere we get home. Get on my shoulders. The Indian mounted on the load. The chinu bade him hold his head low so that he could not be knocked off by the branches. Brace your feet, he said, so as to be steady. Then the old man flew like the wind. Nibas sulkana Vigil, Samas totisku wedge, wasu. The bushes whistled as they flew past them. They got home before sunset. The wife was afraid to touch such meat, but her husband was persuaded to eat of it. It was like a bear's meat. The chinu fed on it. So they all lived as friends. Footnote: The Indians are much less particular than white men as to food, but they avoid chojik or reptiles. Rand manuscript. End footnote. Then the spring was at hand. One day, the Chino told them that something terrible would soon come to pass. An enemy, a chino, a woman, was coming like wind, yes, on the wind from the north to kill him. There could be no escape from the battle. she would be far more furious, mad, and cruel than any male, even one of his own cruel race could be. He knew not how the battle would end, but the man and his wife must be put in a place of safety to keep them from hearing the terrible roar-hoops of the chinoo, which is death to mortals, their ears must be closed. They must hide themselves in a cave. Then he sent the woman for the bundle which he had brought with him, and which had hung untouched on a branch of a tree, since he had been with them. And he said, if she found aught in it offensive to her, to throw it away, but to certainly bring him a smaller bundle, which was within the other.' So she went and opened it, and that which she found therein was a pair of human legs and feet, the remains of some earlier horrid meal. She threw them away, the small bundle she brought to him. The chinu opened it and took from it a pair of horns, horns of the cheptic or dragon. One of them has two branches, the other is straight and smooth. Footnote in the winter of eighteen eighty two to eighteen eighty three Thomas josephs killed a deer whose horns were precisely like those of the chepitschalm as regarded shape they were golden bright he gave the straight horn to the indian he kept the other he said that these were magical weapons and the only ones of any use in the coming fight so they waited for the foe and the third day came the Chinu was fierce and bold he listened he had no fear he heard the long and awful scream like nothing of earth of the enemy and she sped through the air far away in the icy north long ere the others could hear it and the manner of it was this that if they without harm should live after hearing the first deadly yell of the enemy they could take no harm and if they did but hear the answering shout of their friend all would be well with them Footnote: IN THIS WE CLEARLY PERCEIVE THE HORRIBLE SCREAM OF THE ANGACOCK, OR ESKIMO SHAMAN, TRAINED THROUGH YEARS AND GENERATIONS, TO UTTER SOUNDS WHICH TERRIFY EVEN BRAVE MEN. END FOOTNOTE BUT HE SAID, SHOULD YOU HEAR ME CALL FOR HELP, THEN HASTEN WITH THE HORN, AND YOU MAY SAVE MY LIFE. THEY DID AS HE BADE, THEY STOPPED THEIR EARS. They hid in a deep hole dug in the ground. All at once the cry of the foe burst on them like screaming thunder. Their ears rang with pain. They were well-nigh killed for all the care they had taken. But then they heard the answering cry of their friend, and were no longer in danger from mere noise. The battle begun. The fight was fearful. The monsters, by their magic, with their rage, rose to the size of mountains, The tall pines were torn up, the grounds trembled as in an earthquake, rocks crashed upon rocks, the conflict deepened and darkened, no tempest was ever so terrible. Then the male Chinu was heard crying, "Nulusuk, chugoye, abog unmoi, my son-in-law, come and help me." He ran to the fight. What he saw was terrible. The Chinus, who upright would have risen far above the clouds, as giants of hideous form, were struggling on the ground. The female seemed to be the conqueror. She was holding her foe down. She knelt on him. She was doing all she could to thrust her dragon's horn into his ear. And he, to avoid death, was moving his head rapidly from side to side, while she, mocking his cries, said, You have no son-in-law to help you i'll take your cursed life and eat your liver footnote it is generally said that there can be no swearing in indian but mr rand considers this gross error it is a mistake he writes to suppose that the red man cannot swear in his own tongue it cannot of course be expected that simple savages can swear like cultivated christians but they do the best they can They introduce the venom into their speech by inserting an extra-syllable. Thus, Nabol or nebov, means, I will kill you. But nedbujio is the equivalent of, I'll take your cursed life, though it has not that literal meaning, having only one small syllable to swear with. The Indians are, however, not so profuse and wasteful of profanity as their more gifted and pious white brethren. End footnote the indian was so small by these giants that the stranger did not notice him now said his friend thrust the horn into her ear he did this with a well-directed blow he struck hard the point entered her head at the touch it sprouted quick as a flash of lightning it darted through the head it came out of the other ear and it had become like a long pole it touched the ground it struck downward it took deep and firm root The male chinu bade him raise the other end of the horn and place it against a large tree. He did so. It coiled itself round the tree like a snake. It grew rapidly. The enemy was held hard and fast. Then the two began to dispatch her. It was a long and weary work. Such a being, to be killed at all, must be hewed into small pieces. Flesh and bones must all be utterly consumed by fire should the last fragment remain unburnt from it would spring a grown chinoo with all the force and fire of the first footnote the idea is common to both eskimo and indian that so long as a fragment of a body remains unburned the being man or beast may by magic be revived from it it was probably suggested by observing the great vitality and power of self-production inherent in many lower forms of life, and may have given rise to the belief in vampires. End footnote. The fury of battles past; the Chinus had become of their usual size. The victor hewed the enemy to small pieces, to be revenged for the insult and threat as to eating his liver— He, having roasted that part of his captive, ate it before her, while she was yet alive he did this. He told her she was served, as she would have served him. But the hardest task of all was to come. It was to burn or melt the heart. It was of ice, and more than ice, as much colder as ice is colder than fire, as much harder as ice is harder than winter. When placed in the fire it put out the flame— Yet by long burning it melted slowly, until they at last broke it to fragments with a hatchet, and then melted these. So they returned to the camp. Spring came. The snows of winter, as water, ran down the rivers to the sea. The ice and snow which had encamped on the inland hills sought the shore. So did the Indian and his wife. The Chinu, with softened soul, went with them now he was becoming a man like other men before going they built a canoe for the old man they did not cover it with birch bark they made it of moose skin footnote the indians have several names for a canoe kwudden micmac a quidden intul micmac my canoe or my watercraft of any kind Busulk a canoe covered with moose-skin, Micmac, Skogamulk, Micmac, a new canoe, Incanulk, Micmac, an old canoe, Rand Manuscript. To these may be added the different patterns of canoes peculiar to different tribes, as, for instance, the mohawk, which is broad with peculiar ends, etc. End footnote. In it they placed a part of their venison and skins— the chinoo took his place in it they took the lead he followed and after winding on with the river down rapids and under forest boughs they came out into the sunshine on a broad beautiful lake but suddenly when midway in the water the Chenoo laid flat in the canoe as if to hide himself and to explain this he said that he had just then been discovered by another chinoo who was standing on the top of a mountain whose dim blue outline could just be seen stretching far away to the north he has seen me he said but he cannot see you nor can he behold me now but should he discover me again his wrath will be roused then he will attack me i know not who might conquer i prefer peace so he lay hidden and they took his canoe in tow but when they had crossed the lake and came to the river again, the Chinus said that he could not travel further by water. He would walk the woods, but sail on streams no more. So they told him where they meant to camp that night. He started over mountains and through woods, and up rocks, a far roundabout journey. And the man and his wife went down the river in a spring freshet, headlong with the rapids. Footnote one should be familiar with the almost impassable forests of Maine and Canada, even as they are at the present day, to properly appreciate the Chinook's journey. As for the speed of the canoe, I have myself gone down the Kinawa River, Virginia, in a dugout at the rate of one hundred miles in a day. End footnote. But when they paddled round the point where they meant to pass the night, they saw smoke rising among the trees and on landing they found the Chinu sleeping soundly by the fire which had been built for them. This he repeated for several days, but as they went south a great change came over him. He was a being of the north. Ice and snow had no effect on him, but he could not endure the soft airs of summer. He grew weaker and weaker. When they had reached their village, he had to be carried like a little child. He had grown gentle— His fierce and formidable face was now like that of a man. His wounds had healed. His teeth no longer grinned wildly all the time. The people gathered round him in wonder. He was dying. This was after the white men had come. They sent for a priest. He found the chinu as ignorant of all religion as a wild beast. At first he would repel the father in anger. Then he listened and learned the truth— for the old heathen's heart changed. He was deeply moved. He asked to be baptized, and as the first tear which he had ever shed in all his life came to his eyes, he died. Footnote This strange and touching tale was told to Mr. Rand by a Micmac Indian, Lewis Brooks, who heard it from his grandfather, Samuel Paul, a chief, who died in 1843 at the age of eighty. He was a living chronicle of ancient traditions the chinu can be directly identified with the so-called inlander of the greenland eskimo he is a cannibal a giant a mysterious being who haunts the horrible and almost unexplored interior he assumes different forms in one shape he is supposed to be a man who has become a recluse and a misanthrope but no such thing as the chinu could ever have been imagined out of an arctic country the conception of the heart of hardest ice and the gradual civilization of the savage by kindness the tact with which this is done as only a woman could do it the indication of the old nature as shown by eating the liver of his conquered foe and his final conversion display a genius which is greatly heightened by the simplicity of the narrative as there is actually a tribe of indians in the northwest called Chinu, there can be little doubt as to the derivation of the name such a character could have originated as i have said only in the icy north it could never have grown in the milder regions of the west and south but the Chinu, the monstrous ferocious cannibal giant with an icy heart is the central figure of the evil supernatural beings of the north the schoolcraft traditions and Hiawatha have little to say of titans whose heads top the clouds, who tear up forests and rend rocks, and change the whole face of nature in their hideous battles or horrible revels. But such scenes are continually described by the Passamaquoddy and story storytellers, and they would be natural enough to Greenlanders, familiar with whales, icebergs, frozen waste, long winter nights, and all the frozen desolation of the north there is a mystery connected with the eating of the liver which is to be explained like many other indian mysteries by having recourse to the eskimo shamanism in greenland a man who has been murdered can revenge himself by rushing into him that is entering his soul which can only be prevented by eating a piece of his liver rink tea and tea of the eskimo page forty five the chinu is in all essentials identical with the KIVAKTOK of Greenland, a man who has fled mankind and acquired extraordinary mental and physical powers. The story which I have here given is probably that of the Eskimo tale of the blind man who recovered his sight Rink, page ninety nine, in which a Kimktock, after becoming incredibly old, returns to mankind to seek a shaman priest and repent. In both stories there is a Chinu, and in both there is atonement with mankind and the higher powers. It may be observed that while the Chinu is a giant with a heart of ice as hard as stone, the giant Harundur of the Edda has a heart of stone. The Chinu agrees with the Jotuns in many respects. End of Section 28